Today we want to look at John's account of the resurrection, John 20, verses 1 through 18. Hear now God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting there, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy word to us today. Well, it is that time of year again when the print media and websites and television will trot out all sorts of alternate theories about traditional Christianity like Jesus never existed, he wasn't even historical, or Jesus was married to Mary Magdalene, or that the Bible we have is lacking in some way because it doesn't include the Gospel of Thomas or the Gospel of Mary or some other, other book out there. Well, this past week, maybe you have seen an article that I have seen uh, about the main New Testament professor at the Jesuit College of the Holy Cross. Holy Cross College in Worcester, Massachusetts. Dr. Tatsong Benny Liu has published a theory that Christ could be considered a drag king or cross-dresser. Well, Tom Gilson over at stream.org responded to this blasphemy saying, it's outrageous to start with. Anyone can see that. But I don't want to back away from calling it what, it, what else it really is, just in case other media have been shy to say it. It's foolish, silly, disturbed, factually wrong, morally wrong, sacrilegious, misleading in every possible way, and thoroughly despicable. 
and utterly inane, stupid, and ridiculous. And then he goes on to make this point. This is really why I'm telling you about this. He makes this point about Jesus, which says, I can't speak from direct knowledge of the professor, but I can at least relate what we see in him to what we've seen in other settings. Everyone wants to claim Jesus for their own. He's a revered figure in Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, many New Age beliefs, and more. Everyone wants to make Jesus in his or her own image. To the pacifists, turn the other cheek was his chief defining word. To the social, social justice warriors, he was a social justice crusader. To the rebels, he was a revolutionary. Well, another article I read this week was from Newsweek. Their website uh, had an article that was not particularly provocative to me because I believe it's true. The title was, Jesus Was Not White. And, of course, he, he was not a white European person. Uh, he was a Middle Eastern Jew. And the author was simply making the point that Jesus is often depicted in art and in film as someone who looks like a white European instead of a Middle Eastern Jew. Now, again, as we think about classic works of art hanging in galleries all over the world or even in some of the films that have come out recently, uh, our European forebears, in the case of the art, Art, uh, of the art world, they remade Jesus into their own image. Jesus looked like them. Well, the most important principle behind understanding who Jesus was is to let the scriptures alone be your guide. If you read books about Jesus or hear sermons about Jesus, judge them according to the scriptures, what's written in the scriptures, not what the culture around you says about him or what the culture around him around you wants him to be. The Bible, we believe, is the inspired, breathed out by God. It's inerrant. It doesn't have errors. It's infallible because it is God's word. It cannot be uh, full of errors. It cannot have any errors. And if you follow that word, it will not steer you wrong concerning Jesus or any other thing for that matter. Now we see here in John chapter 20... Peter, John, and Mary Magdalene all struggling to overcome their limited understanding of Jesus. They all had preconceived notions about who Jesus was and what he came to be and to do. And we see them in this story, this account of the resurrection, they're undergoing a massive paradigm shift. They're, they're having a fundamental change to all their underlying assumptions about who Jesus was and who the Messiah was. And it's no small thing to have that happen to you. And here we see them wrestling with it and struggling with it and trying to come to terms with what they are seeing. Well, may the Lord graciously grant us all the same paradigm shift so that we may have a clearer understanding of who Jesus is and what he has accomplished for us, what the scriptures tell us about Jesus. Now, Bible critics will tell you that there are discrepancies in the resurrection accounts of the four Gospels. Well, that's just not true, and if you are interested, you can go on the web and look up 
resurrection harmonies and you'll find any number of websites that take the four gospels and and show how they all fit together it's very interesting to look at that and it does when you when you see this and the whole story around the resurrection and all the comings and goings and the encounters with the angels and with Christ it really adds some color and reality to the accounts and the fact that each gospel stresses something different in, in their accounts just lends credence to the fact that these are truly eyewitnesses who saw these things and heard from people who saw these events. You see that they did not get together and try to make their stories all sound the same. They told it from their perspective or the, from the perspective of the people they got the information from. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and even Paul's account in 1 Corinthians 15. Well, the Gospel of John is the latest of the Gospels. And John would have been aware of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and even Paul's writing about the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15. And his account is the most different of the four, and I know that when he was writing it, he would have not believed that what he was writing was in conflict with the other accounts. But he is choosing what he's sharing with us because he's trying to communicate something to us. He chooses to focus on Mary Magdalene, Peter, and himself, and their, these three peoples, their struggle to believe what was happening and what had happened. John has an agenda in his writing, as does the, the other gospel writers. They're writing for a purpose. They're trying to communicate something and prove something to us. And he has chosen to focus on these certain individuals and certain aspects of the events that occurred surrounding the resurrection in order to show that agenda, to prove that agenda. He tells us why he has chosen to tell us these particular events and to focus in on these certain people and not the others, because there were many women who came to the tomb, and all the other disciples were there and involved in it as well. John 20, 30, down at the end of the chapter, we just, we're just reading, it says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So that's why he's included what he's included here and why he's telling the resurrection story like he's telling it. John wants you to believe in Jesus, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the chosen one, the Son of God, and so that you may believe in him, by believing in him may have life, true life, abundant life in his name. Now what we find here in this resurrection account of John's is Mary Magdalene's and Peter's and John's struggle to believe. We see these struggling to believe because what they see happening does not fit in with their preconceived notions, their underlying assumptions about the Messiah and their previous understanding of Scripture even. We see them undergoing a paradigm shift as they come to terms with what they see going on right before their very eyes. Let's look at them in turn. First we'll look at Peter and John's experience. Then we want to look at Mary Magdalene's. So Peter and John get the report from Mary Magdalene that the tomb is empty after she and the other women had gone to the tomb and discovered that the stone had been removed. And she tells them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and, and we do not know where they have laid him. Now Luke tells us 
that when the disciples heard this report, the words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter and John run to the tomb anyway. John gets there first. He gets to the mouth of the tomb, and he doesn't go in. He stops at the entrance, and he peeks in. He stoops down, and he looks. Then Peter arrives. John sees the linen cloths lying in their place. Peter goes right on into the tomb and he sees the linen cloths and the face cloth folded up. Then John enters the tomb and he sees, and it says he believes. Now notice in verse 5 through 8 that the word saw is used three times. John saw when he was standing outside the tomb Peter saw when he went into the tomb. Then John saw again when he entered the tomb. Now in English we have one word for saw, and it, they're all, it's translated here, uh, or see. Uh, however, the word see can have different meanings, right? If I say, I see, I see all these people here at church. I see you uh, dressed up in your Easter uh, outfits and looking good. I see you. But we also can use that word to mean, oh, I see I understand, I grasp it, I get it, I'm intellectually seeing. We don't have a different word for that. We use the word, same word. But in Greek, there's at least five words for see or saw. And three of them are used here. Each of these sees, or John saw, Peter saw, then John saw again. Each of those words are a different word in Greek. Now the first, when John is standing at the entrance of the tomb and he sees the linen cloths lying there, is uh, the word blepo. And blepo is the Greek word for seeing with your eyes. He saw these linen cloths lying there. It's the common word for physical sight. Then when Peter goes in, he saw the linen cloths and the face cloth, and that is the word theoreo, from which we get our word theory and theorize. So Peter is looking at this and he is studying it. He is rehearsing it. He is furiously thinking about what he is seeing and trying to come to terms with, with what is going on here. He couldn't grasp what he was seeing. And he is searching for some explanation. But Peter hasn't believed yet. His mind is racing. Now this is yet further proof that these accounts are not made up. Jesus' followers had a hard time believing and they admitted it. If you were making it up, you would say, well, everybody, everybody saw that Jesus was raised from the dead and everybody embraced it and everybody was on board with it right at the beginning. But now here we have Peter, the leading disciple. He is trying to wrestle with what he is seeing and he is not getting it. He is not understanding what is going on here. And John tells us why in verse 9. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. See, they didn't, they didn't understand what the Old Testament had been saying about the resurrection. They didn't grasp what Jesus told them repeatedly, that he was going to die and that he was going to rise again. You know, often Jesus told them these things, and every time you read about Jesus telling them these things, they say, what is he talking about? 
They couldn't even, it didn't enter their minds that the Messiah would be someone who would die, much less rise again. It, it wasn't part of the paradigm they had. It wasn't part of their underlying assumptions about the Messiah. So when he said these things to them, it went in one ear and right out the other, and they just didn't grasp it until after it happened. And for some of them, a little while later after it happened. They weren't getting it from the Scriptures, but it was all there in the Scriptures all along. Once Peter does get it, he preaches it. If you look at his sermon in Acts chapter 2, he quotes Psalm 16. And he explains that this is not about David, it's about Jesus. He's talking about Jesus when he states, You will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. He says, David died and he's in the grave now. Jesus is what this is all about. See, he finally got it. But he was studying it for a while before he got it. But then John enters the tomb, and we have the third different word for Saul. And this is the word oida, which means to know. This is, I see. John saw, he got it, and he believed. Now Peter and the other disciples came to believe it as well. They wrestled with it, they studied these matters from scriptures, and you must do the same. We must all do the same. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, you and me, we will see and believe more and more until one day your faith will be made sight. See, If you get it here and here, one day you will see it physically. You will see Jesus. You will touch Jesus. You will have a, a glorified body in a new heavens and earth just like Jesus. And be with him forever. Why was the stone rolled away from the tomb? Was it so Jesus could get out? It was not. Jesus passed through the grave clothes. Jesus, in the next account, when he appears to the disciples, they had the doors locked, he comes into the room. The stone was rolled away, not so Jesus could get out, but so that we could look in. So that we could examine the empty tomb. The disciples could go in and see that it wasn't, that Jesus was not there anymore. So we could see in and believe. Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene also struggled to overcome her preconceived notions of Jesus. Her report to Peter and John shows her fixation on finding Jesus' body. So she and the other woman, women uh, could apply the burial spices that they were bringing to the grave because they didn't embalm. They, these uh, bodies would begin to stink from the rotting flesh and they were serving Jesus in this way in his death. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb and, and we do not know where they have laid him. Now when Mary returns and, and uh, Peter and John go in and they see and then Peter and John go back home, she's there at the grave and she's just bawling. She's weeping. And she peeks into the tomb. She stoops to look in. And she sees something there. Theoreo. Angels. She sees angels, and that's not what she was expecting to see there. 
And then they address her. They ask her a question, and it's not really a question. It's actually a mild rebuke. The angels certainly know why she's crying. I mean, why would anybody be crying at a, at a tomb, especially the tomb of Jesus? What they're saying is not, you know, what's going on? Why are you crying? They're saying is, why are you crying? This is not the time to cry. This is the time to rejoice. It's like a child at a birthday party, and then they, they all of a sudden burst out into tears, and you're going, what are you crying for? It's your birthday party. Go have some cake. Open your presents. It's a time to be happy and joyful. And again, she repeats. She just can't get her head around it. They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. She's still not grasping it. And then Jesus appears. And though Mary doesn't recognize him, she thinks he's the gardener. And he says to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Again, a mild rebuke. Why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Now there's more to this question than meets the eye. Again, why are you weeping? This is not the time for weeping. But whom are you seeking? Who are you really looking for, Mary? Are you looking for a dead body? Maybe you should be looking for something different than a dead body. Maybe you should expand your thinking and remember the things that I had said when I was alive and look for a living Savior. Well, Mary Magdalene just could not grasp that Jesus was alive. She, she didn't have any categories for this. She had some preconceived notions. The Jews believed in a resurrection, but only on the last day. You remember when Jesus goes to, to Lazarus, who's, who's, who has died, and they've been, they buried him, and Martha meets him as he comes into the, to Bethany, and she says, if, my brother, if you were here, my brother wouldn't have died. And, and Jesus says your brother will rise again. And she goes, yeah, I know, he's going to rise again on the last day. But a resurrection before the last day was not in their way of thinking. It wasn't, they would have never assumed that that was what Jesus was talking about. And of course, Lazarus rose from the, Jesus called him from the grave right then and there. See, her unbelief, Mary Magdalene's unbelief, was blinding her along with her tears. She couldn't see it. She couldn't grasp it. But then Jesus removes her blindness with a word, Mary. John 10, 27-28 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus' word goes forth and all of a sudden she recognizes Jesus and he's alive. Rabboni, she says, teacher. The, what she had, uh, how she had always addressed him. If we want to have our blindness removed, we must go to God's word. We, we must hear God's word. It was true for Mary Magdalene. She was the first person to see Jesus risen from the dead. What an honor. Who was she? That she had this wonderful honor bestowed upon her. 
Well, the Bible tells us that she was a person who at one time was possessed by seven demons. Now, that's not something that just happens to you. You know, you're not walking down the street one day and then, bam, you know, you're possessed by seven demons. If you, go, if you would like to be possessed by seven demons, you have to go get involved in some evil stuff. And that's what Mary Magdalene's life was before she met Christ. She was undoubtedly involved in something very evil in her life. But Jesus saved her. He drove those demons out of her and completely changed her life. And he revealed himself to her and her life was transformed. And I think the reason that Mary Magdalene is the first one that sees Jesus is simply for the fact that we should think, if it can happen for her, it can happen for me too. You can't get much worse than having seven demons in you. And if, and if Jesus graciously reveals himself to her, then he will certainly graciously reveal himself to you. So I want to encourage all of us today. If you, if you want to know the true Jesus, if you want to understand what the Bible says about Jesus, because that's our source, that is God's word, what God himself says about Jesus, then you need to ask him, to reveal himself to you and seek him in his word. We've been given it to us in, in our hands. We can take it home and we can read it. And the Bible promises that if we seek him, we will find him. He will give you eternal life and no one will snatch you out of his hand. Let us pray together. Oh Lord, we, we do come to you and ask that you would continue to reveal yourself to us in your word. Lord, we pray that you would help us to turn off all the distractions that we encounter on a daily basis and carve out time to seek you in your word and in prayer. Lord, we pray that you would reveal yourself to us, that we would hear the gospel and, and apply it to ourselves fresh and new every day. To be reminded that Christ died for sinners such as I am, such as we all are. And that we are saved not because we're great or because we do well or because we earn your favor, but just because you graciously choose to reveal yourself to us and to drive out all of our demons and wash our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness and Bring us into your family and hold us in your hands so that no one can ever snatch us away. Lord, we pray that everyone here would have that assurance today. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.